Beyonce there with Countdown. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, the Victorian Greens have announced a rent freeze policy. And earlier today, I spoke with MP Gabrielle DeVitri. Gabrielle DeVitri, welcome to the show. Hello. Your rent freeze policy. Tell us all about it. Well... As we know, the rental crisis is absolutely out of control right now. I hear from people almost on a daily basis who are just a rent rise away from homelessness. I've heard from retired women who are sleeping in cars, from families with small kids living in tents, people, you know, who are experiencing $200 a week rent rises. And this is just commonplace now. So what we're doing is calling for an urgent rent freeze Rents are set to keep rising. They've risen 11.7% in the last year. They're due to rise another 11.5%. And renters just can't face these kinds of rent hikes anymore. So a rent freeze is basically putting a stop to rent increases for two years so that we can allow the chance for wages to catch up with the cost of rents. And then we want to introduce a permanent cap of 2% every 24 months thereafter. So it's not like you can get to the end of that rent freeze and then your landlord can just hike the rent back up again to what it would have been. How has the government reacted to your demand? Well, this week in Parliament, I took it to the Premier and I asked him directly, will you introduce a rent freeze? And he did everything he could not to answer the question. Um you know, he he relied on some changes that they made in 2018, which were welcome changes to be able to live with your pet, hang pictures. Um, it mandated that you have to have a locked door, which are all really important changes. But, you know, what's the use of being able to hang a picture if you don't have the walls, like if you can't afford the walls to hang them on? Um, so because right now the, the kinds of rights that renters needs are the ones that are going to help them have a secure, affordable home into the future. So, yeah, we're calling for, for rent hikes. We're also calling for an inquiry into the rental crisis. Um, this rent freeze kind of is a holding pattern until the government gets its shit together to actually do some long-term um, reform. Um, and so this inquiry will put those problems and the solutions squarely in front of the, the decision makers. For too long, MPs have been making decisions for property investors and they've pretty much ignored renters in policy. We want to show that renters are a growing force, that they cannot be ignored, that they're not going to be siloed into their individual apartments any longer, that they're actually a collective force and they're growing. Um, so putting these problems and solutions right in front of the decision makers so they just can't ignore renters any longer. They're a huge voting block. Why do you think a Labor government skirted around this issue when you confronted the Premier in in Parliament during question time about it? Well, I think they have no plan for renters and I think they're really feeling the heat because this effort, this um, movement towards a rent freeze, it's not just happening here in Victoria, it's happening all around the country. The Greens um, MPs are mobilising around the country. We're hearing the call at the national level as well. Um, And this idea of a rent freeze is really catching on. Here in Victoria, we've had um, people out doing inspection blitzes, um, handing out some rent freeze cards to people at inspections so that we can actually have the conversation with renters at the point where they need it most which is when they're looking for for a new rental and they're going to be locked into a new contract. Um, 
you must be worried we're going to see mass evictions and that's going to put enormous pressure on the uh, social fabric of the state, uh, but also the public housing waiting list, which is massive and basically, you know, too long. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what happens when you get like when you can't afford the private market, will you go onto the public housing waiting list? But we know that waiting list is not moving. In fact, it's growing by about 10,000 people every single year. Right now, it's 130,000 people long, which is just mind-blowing that there are that many people desperate for a home who just can't get one. And meanwhile, the government talks big on housing and building housing, but their plan for the last four years has seen... 1,700 public housing properties demolished, their households evicted and that land given away to private developers. And for the cost of $2.3 billion, what we've seen is an increase in the social housing stock of 74 properties. That's 74 properties when the public housing waiting list is 130,000 people long. So we want to do everything to make sure that more people don't join that public housing waiting list because we know it's just going to take decades to clear. So And, and that's why we're focusing on renting because we know that renters are struggling right now and we need to intervene right now to make sure that more, more people don't face homelessness. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, by avoiding the rent freeze, what he's doing, what the Premier is doing is exposing the inadequacy of the public housing stock numbers, which is only going to, you know, be be widened. Mm, Absolutely. Well, you know, I think that they're incentivised by property investors. They're incentivised by property developers. They know where they get their money from. They know where they get their power from. Um, And so for as long as possible, they're going to put off um, more reforms for renters unless, of course, the public pressure builds to such a point where they can't ignore it any longer. And that's what we're hoping to do through this rent freeze campaign. And that's what we're hoping to do through the rental inquiry. Do you think part of this problem is that Labor MPs don't really feel it? Like, you know, quite a few of them own multiple properties. Uh, is, Is that the issue, that they don't know what it's like to be a renter about to be evicted? I don't believe there are any renters in the um, in the Labor Party who hold hold a seat in government right now. Um, I also believe that the the minister in charge of the renting portfolio, which is Danny Pearson, um, I think he owns six properties. So I think it would be very hard for for someone like him to actually see it from the point of view of a renter when he you know is is benefiting from most likely rental income, uh, possibly has one or two on Airbnb as well. Um, these are all speculations. I think he's got four. I checked. Um, Is it the, four? Age, the age said four in February of this year. Mm. I thought his return said six. But, yeah, anyway, multiple properties before and six, you know. <laughs> What's the difference? When you've got more than one, you're laughing, right? Um, you know, and I, I – it's not to say that I'm not aware that there are some people who genuinely depend on income to be able to sustain their own family, who feel like they need it as a safety net for the future of their kids or for their retirement. And that is also a symptom of a, a market that has gone completely out of control. We shouldn't have to rely on these huge investments to be able to actually have financial security into the long term. So that's why some of the reforms that our our colleagues in the federal parliament are so important around raising job seeker, raising the pension, making sure that actually everyone has a secure future without having to, 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 to be a property investor. 
being the member for Richmond, having an electorate with a large number of renters, often with many intersections in their life, you know, queer people. Uh, What are your constituents telling you about this renting crisis? We've heard from hundreds and hundreds of renters and mainly it's around, well, it's around the fear of the next rent rise. A lot of people, when you first start a conversation about renting, they're like, look, I'm okay. Like our rent's not too expensive, but I couldn't afford it if they put the rent up or it's only that way because I've never asked for a repair and I wouldn't dare contact my landlord asking for any repairs because I'm scared of getting evicted. And so just that kind of internalization of the problem of renting um, where that those kinds of standards and that kind of security would be completely unacceptable in other countries where renting is much more um, supported as a permanent life choice and a, and a viable life choice to be able to uh, – it, it, it could even be a choice. I mean, a lot of people who are renting are renting um, by default. There are some people who choose to rent, um, but most people are renting because they can't break into the housing market. Um, and, you know, I think – We've got a, a we've got a huge amount to do there as well to make um, purchasing properties more affordable as well to bring down the cost for first home buyers so they're not competing with property investors to actually um, have their have their a home to live in. I think this renting crisis is really hurting a lot of queer people as well mm. who often find it difficult to get employment. You know, trans people often find it difficult to get employment. Uh, your rent goes up, your job can't sustain it, you're homeless. Um, already a very stressed community. This is just adding to that. Absolutely. I think there are lots of marginalisations that intersect with being a renter, Um, whether you're uh, younger, older, whether you're queer, whether you're living with a disability. It narrows the scope of the properties that you can be eligible for. And we already know that the availability of properties is just so low that it's really competitive when you're looking for a new place, which means people will stay in substandard homes to avoid having to go back out and look for a new place. Um, We also know that the kinds of privacy protections around um, renters when they're looking for a new place are absolutely abysmal. So it means that somebody's private life life is completely cracked open by these third-party apps like To Apply when they're trying to apply for a property. Um, they just um, have no uh, – they, they have, right now have no rights to protect themselves in that situation. It's like we're on the edge of a point where all of a sudden homelessness is going to become incredibly noticeable uh, and that in turn is going to make it much more of a political issue. You'd think the Premier would want to get on top of that now because if he doesn't in, in you know a couple of years' time when he's campaigning again – Uh, It's going to be an election issue. Absolutely, I agree. And that's why I'm really hopeful that they'll be supporting this rental inquiry. Um, I think it's a really good start to show that the government actually cares about renters. I hope that Labor will support putting up this inquiry in the upper house. The debate and the vote is on May 17th. And if you are a renter or if you understand the plight of renters, I'd really urge you to get in touch with the Premier. His email is daniel.andrews at parliament.vic.gov.au. 
Tell him to support a rent freeze. Tell him to support the rental inquiry in the upper house on May 17th. And if you'd like to come to Parliament and watch the debate, get in touch with me. I would love to invite you to sit in the gallery to hear what your MP has to say about renting in the state of Victoria and to be accountable to you when they cast their vote. Do you think there's a bit of political stubbornness going on here that, you know, perhaps he he does in his heart of hearts support this inquiry, but because it's come from the Greens, he doesn't want to back down because then that would be seen as giving you guys the credit. Is there a bit of political pride at work here? Possibly. Who knows what goes on inside his the machinations of their party and inside his head. Um, I know they're still sore that that the Greens have taken Richmond. Um, I get pretty uh, I get pretty badly treated in um, the chamber. I get um, that there is there appears to be a definite agenda to shout me down every time I stand up to speak. It's pretty horrendous. It's very abusive, and um, it 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 would shock anyone. I mean, I I actually inadvertently grabbed the hand of Ellen Sandal, who sits next to me the first hour that we sat in Parliament because I felt so intimidated by the level of vitriol that was being um, that was being directed towards me. So it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if there was some kind of um, stubbornness just because of how bitter they are that they have lost the seat of Richmond. That is so toxic and unacceptable in any other workplace. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's it's a very bad reflection on them. Uh, I'm, I'm shocked. It, it is really shocking. And that's why I'd, I do invite you, if you'd like to see the rental inquiry debate or if you would like to sit in on question time to see how your government or your MP operates, please get in touch with me. Um, you, you have to be registered to, to come in, but um, I think more people should should actually see what goes on during parliament time because a lot of it's time wasting a lot of it is abusive and um and it, it it's it's extraneous to actually getting the work done it is not necessary to be able to do your functions as an mp to be so abusive to people across the chamber and yet sometimes the shouting and jeering is so loud i can't even hear myself speaking and such a waste of energy for them. I mean, they increased their majority. Why are they focused on a seat that they lost? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, it is quite mind-blowing. And as you say, it would not be acceptable in any other workplace. And yet somehow um, this, this kind of <laughs> – this building and this institution seems stuck in time um, back when it – I don't know if it actually was ever acceptable, but it, it really feels out of, out of place. It feels like another dimension sometimes. What do you make of the toxicity within the Victorian Liberal Party, the conflict between Pseudo and Deeming, uh, Dutton getting involved all over the issue of, you know, alleged Nazi sympathising? I mean, gosh, this is the alternative government in the state. Mm, yeah, look, I think I think the fact that um, there was some action taken against Maura Dean was actually more than I expected of the Liberal government. Um, I, don't, I don't imagine that she'd have a leg to stand on, but I think we absolutely need to be vigilant in the Victorian Parliament that we stamp out hate speech and vilification and anti-trans sentiments wherever it rears its ugly head um, and we need to make sure that we do that continuously because it's not it's in the community um, it's on the steps of Parliament and it is actually inside our chambers so um, you know my colleagues and I have been very mindful of um, of speaking out against that kind of uh, anti-trans sentiment whenever it arises. And, of course, with the cancellation of the most recent um, 
uh, drag story time event in Monash City Council, we have renewed our calls to the Labor government to finally act on expanding our anti-vilification laws so that we can protect people from hate speech on the basis of sexuality and gender as well as HIV, AIDS status, intersex status and disability and not just race and religion. So they've made a commitment, the Labor government, to do that. Yeah, it's meant to be happening this term? I don't know if I would call it a commitment. In uh, 2021, after the inquiry into into these matters, they made an in-principle, um, they said they, they showed in-principle support for the change um, and it was subject to funding. Obviously, that funding hasn't been forthcoming, so nothing has happened. When I asked the Premier about it back in March, he, straight after this horrendous display of, uh, you know, anti-trans and neo-Nazi display on the steps of Parliament, he um, stood up and said, now is not the time for laws or funding, it's the time for strong statements, Um, which I found really, really insulting to our queer community because now is the time to actually make those changes, to make sure that something like that can't happen again, to make sure that people can't terrify a council into cancelling a a family-friendly event. We need stronger anti-vilification laws to prevent hate speech from happening. I'm surprised he said that because, I mean, really, it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? I mean, yeah, strong words and condemnation is good, but you need that policy and legislation to back it all up. Exactly, yeah. And and in reality, um, it's not about funding. Uh, a legislative change can happen um, within a short time without 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 the funding necessary. It's about changing the laws and um and that's what the government should be working on right now. It's actually being called upon by um, advocacy groups across the the queer um, organisations, across disability um, advocacy organisations, um, all calling for the very same change. It's absolutely obvious what needs to happen and the government just needs to get on and do it. Equality is one of your portfolios within the Greens. You're also the member for Richmond, of course, which has a huge queer population. You mentioned the anti-trans, anti-drag sentiment. Uh, Your electorate's the epicentre of the community. There's so many venues. People must be really scared. Outraged? I think outraged. I, I, I haven't. I think... I think outrage, but I think what I'm seeing overwhelmingly is people coming together and organising and solidifying their support for each other. And that's the overwhelming sentiment that I'm picking up. Um, And I think that comes out really clearly in how coordinated this call for anti-vilification laws to be expanded is. Um, It's it's absolutely the strongest signal and the strongest act that the government could be doing to protect people across um, the queer community and across other marginalised communities. Um, And to, to say that they are valued and protected, but actually to enact that protection as well, to make it unlawful to um, incite violence, to incite hatred, to incite humiliation or ridicule towards someone based on those characteristics. How would you rate the Equality Minister Harriet Shin's performance? Look, I think she's got a really... um, I think she has her heart in the right place. I think she's part of a big machine that is very centralised and I, um, in my discussions with her, have 
are really seen eye to eye with her in terms of what we'd like to achieve. Um, but yeah, again, I think like the machinations of the Labor government is a pretty centralised and um, quite all consuming. So I'd like to see us, I would like to work closer with um, with the minister, with Harriet Ching, to be able to achieve these this anti-vilification sooner rather than later. I think it can happen this year. And on the rent increase issue, um, what's your message to Danny Pearce and the Minister for Community Affairs? Rent increases kind of come under his purview, yeah? Yes. So in his um, portfolio as Minister for Consumer Affairs, rental, um, all rental issues fall under that. Um, my message is, is straightforward. Freeze rents now. It, it has to be done. Gabrielle Dvitri, uh, congratulations on your election win and thank you so much for popping into 3CR for a chat. Thank you so much.
Yeah, she really is a great artist. Beth Orton there, Friday night. Up real soon, we'll be chatting with performer Adam Noviello about Moth at TheatreWorks. It 
Planets remix of Just. Up real soon, performer Adam Noviello. But uh, in the meantime, here's Arcade Fire.
Arcade Fire there with Afterlife. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. I am joined by Adam Noviello, who stars alongside Lucy Ansel in TheatreWorks production Moth. Adam, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's a bit of bit of um, deja vu. We, we weren't talking that long ago about a show last year. Absolutely. I mean, it has been a high-powered year for you, you know. Like yeah. the last 12 months, you've released singles, you've been in productions, yeah. all really intense and high energy. Um, how do you do it? <laughs> uh, look, it's I, I, I always just go back to the why and why I do it, and it's that I love it. You know, I get to... You know, I'm so fortunate that I've had so many amazing opportunities in my career, but also in the last 12 months where I just get to do my thing. And, you know, my music has been, you know, really great and people have been really receptive to it. And I'm just very fortunate that, you know, people ask me to do things. So, yeah, I just, how do I do it is I just, I just love to do it. So I just get up and do it. It's the best job in the world. (laughs) And I guess because you love it so much, you want to do it more and more and more. And that just kind of feeds this cycle of high energy and gateways opening for you. That's it. Yeah, you know, energy attracts energy, doesn't it? So, you know, I'll just I'll just keep making stuff and keep turning up for work as long as people will have me. I'm very fortunate. Tell us all about Moth. So Moth, yeah, Moth is the the new by Theatre Works production. Uh, we start previews on the 17th of May, uh, and it's this incredible piece written by Declan Green. It was. Last done here, I believe there was a production of it, well, the original production was at the Malt House, I think around 10 years ago, and it tells the story of these two young people, two teens, uh, and the, the whole story is about forgiveness and how do you, you know, these two people are sort of the rejects of the school, you know, uh, Clarissa is sort of this sort of Wiccan emo girl, you would describe her, and Sebastian is this anime-obsessed uh, you know, reject. And so, you know, they're sort of victims of schoolyard bullying and things. And so the play is about, you know, the two of them, I guess, retelling this memory from their friendship where perhaps they weren't there for each other as best as they could have been and sort of the repercussions of that. So it's about reconciling that, you know, when you when your friends need help and perhaps you don't help them to the extent that they need help, you know, what are the repercussions of that? And then how do you reconcile that? It sounds incredibly emotionally intense and demanding. Yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's, look, it, it has its joyous moments, don't get me wrong. It has its laughs. But yeah, at its core, it's actually a very, I think, a very important story and a very a great depiction of the effects of, you know, youth um, uh, bullying and mental health with young people. What's it like for you exploring this role and connecting with it and going on the emotional journey with the character? Does it take a toll on you? Yeah, I mean, it, it does in a way because I know for myself, you know, as a, as a queer person who sort of, you know, went through high school in the early noughties, uh, you know, I, it wasn't always a glorious time in high school for me. And, yeah, to, to, to be investigating this character who is, you know, uh, horrendously bullied. Um, yeah, it's it's tricky to navigate that kind of content when it can be a bit close to home. But I think I have, I feel a sense of responsibility to uh, p- portray it authentically because this is a lived experience for people daily, for young people. And, you know, uh, there's still so, so much of it in schools of, you know, horrendous bullying, harassment, violence against people who are different or, you know, who just kind of, 
you know, uh, dance to the bit of their own drum. So for myself to be approaching it, yeah, it can, it can be quite taxing, but I feel a sense of responsibility to be part of it and to do a good job of it because it's, it's people's lives. This is what goes on sometimes. You must feel incredibly protective of this character. Mm, yeah, very much so. He's very, um, his interests and I guess his, uh, you know, how he spends his time is not close to me in that sense, but I, I know that feeling of feeling isolated from the people around you, you know, when I was in high school, just feeling like I didn't have a clan or I didn't fit in somewhere and, and seeming to observe everyone around me kind of, you know, cruising through high school. And be, and I remember that sense of like, why is this so difficult for me to just walk into a space and not feel like I'm being looked at or gawked at or whatever. So I am protective of him. I want him to, I want people to see him and go, oh yeah, I, either I want people to see Sebastian and think I was him and I, I can relate. Or I would love people to look at Sebastian and go, do you know what? I, I knew that kid in high school and perhaps maybe I wasn't nice to him or could I have done better? Like if I knew that kid in high school, should I have maybe gone up to him and been like, hey, come sit with us or hey, like, do you need someone to talk to? You know what I mean? Because that essentially is, is what the play is about. It's about recognising if you see victims of, you know, violence or bullying, you know, you, we should help. And sometimes we don't always, you know. You and Lucy Ansel, uh, your co-star, must really bond and really connect in these very kind of, you know, intricate and, uh, and emotional roles. Truly, truly. We, we didn't know each other before this um, and we've gotten you know, pretty pretty close really quickly because the piece is asking it of us. You know, we're spending so much time just uh, sitting very close to each other going, right, so what does this mean? And and Bryony Dunn, our amazing director, has really allowed us to go quite deep into the text and really explore it and analyse it to the point where Lucy and I are sitting across from each other going, we know exactly what our task is in this scene or in this, you know, in this piece. So, yeah, we have gotten quite close. And I think as the as the show opens and we're... We're, you know, gauging how the audiences are responding to it. I think we'll only get closer. It's actually really lovely. It must be an amazing feeling discovering a role like this and getting mm. your teeth into it. Mm, it truly is. I think any actor will tell you that an actor's always waiting for a good script. You know, you'll hear that all the time from actors like, oh, I'm just waiting for a good role or like I'm waiting to, I'm waiting for something that I can really sink my teeth into. And this, that. That is this piece for me. You know, when um, Bryony, our director, contacted me about it um, and it was offered to me, I was I was like, oh, thank God. Like something that I just know that is going to challenge me, it's going to push me, but just something that is so dense. Like, you know, Declan Green is an incredible writer and this play explores so many themes. And, and But at its core, what it's about, it's about, you know, mental health and mental illness and forgiveness. And, yeah, as an actor, it's just, Nom, 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 nom. Delicious. <laughs> and what an honour to be, you know, contacted and asked to play the role as opposed to having to audition for it and compete with other actors. They sought <sighs> you out. Yeah, it doesn't happen often in, uh, in our little business of show. Um, but, look, it was a, a beautiful case of, you know, I, Bryony uh, was the dramaturg on a play I did at Theatre Works uh, last year, and um, I just, I guess, through observing my work and seeing the show, um, she thought I was right for this, and I was tr- truly honoured. Like I, I, I read for her, and 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 I read for her, thinking I'm not sure if this is me. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I read the role, being like, well, this, I would love to do this, but I don't think this is me, or this is something I 
I would not see myself cast in this kind of role, you know, this sort of anime-obsessed, angsty, young person. Um, but, you know, Bryony backed me, and so I just went, well, you know what, if you believe I can do it, then I can. And, um, yeah, we're elbow deep in rehearsals now, and off we go. <laughs> but, I mean, it must be kind of, you know, a great feeling to kind of be taken out of your comfort zone as an actor with, such, with you know, such an amazing script mm, and to truly. be able to surprise yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't wait to get it in front of an audience to see how they respond to it because I feel like I'm really starting to love this character and I'm really, really starting to have a deep understanding for him and, and what the show is, you know. That's kind of the rehearsal process. You kind of, you know, uh, you know, stumble through the first sort of week or so trying to work out who they are and what their function is and what we're trying to say. But then once you sort of log into that, the pieces start to fall into place. It's like, oh, yeah, right, cool. Now I know I know this person. I know what we're doing here. It's, it's such a joy. And it must be great to have Theatre Works nurturing your acting career. Yeah, I, it's, I'm very, very um, grateful for it, to be honest. You know, I was, I was brought on for um, Censor. I did Bridge Shipway's show here last year. And, yeah, to be welcomed so, so beautifully um, to the Theatre Works family has been so lovely to be here you know, less than a year later on, on their stage again. Yeah, it's really humbling. I'm really grateful for it. Now, look, speaking of stage, as you were on the stage in front of a huge crowd at Midsummer, what was that like? <laughs> Midsummer was crazy. I didn't have any gauge for it being what it ended up being. You know, I, I was asked to perform on the main stage, you know, on Carnival Day. Um, uh, you know, I've been releasing music since last year. And, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I'll come do a 15-minute set. Sounds great. Sounds great. And, yeah, it was a beautiful, like, 25-degree day, so it was primed midsummer weather. And, yeah, I went out on that stage, and it was just this sea of people um, dancing and vibing to my tunes. And, yeah, that was a, a big pinch-me moment. I came off that stage and actually fell into my friend's arms in, in tears because I was just like, I can't believe we just did that. It was an incredible day. It was so good. Adam, I have to ask, what is happening for you on the on the music front? What can we expect from you musically after after Moth? Yeah, so, I mean, Moth closes in June, and then I've got two songs uh, uh, scheduled for release later in the year, so people can uh, keep an eye out for August and October. Uh, and then I've just got some, uh, can't really talk about lots of it yet, but just got some great gigs lined up, some support acts here and there, so... Um, my life is moth at the moment. I'm I'm neck deep in this play, which I'm loving. Um, but yeah, once once moth closes, we uh, we go back to music. And yeah, I've got two more tracks coming out in uh, 2023. So what's it, what's it like balancing the two? I mean, it's great that your your careers are both thriving <laughs> concurrently. But what's it like juggling the two? It's it's not as hard as you would think because I just love it so much. You know, it never it doesn't feel like. Uh, work when I just, when I'm doing, you know, the talking about the work, um, it doesn't feel arduous. You know, I, I love to make music. I love acting. And, you know, as long as the opportunities come, I will, I will make them all, you know, work with one another, you know. So it's just about going, you know, with Moss, I knew what my commitment was going to be. I, I looked at it like, here's the rehearsals, here's the run, cool, cool, cool. Um, and just making things work around that, you know. We opened Moss on uh uh, on the Saturday after our first preview, and then uh, two days later, I'm doing a, a, a you know full day photo shoot for upcoming releases and stuff because I just I love it so much. It's just like well, you know, I just want to do good work and um, and go full out. So it's it's you know I just love to do it. It's easy. <laughs> I mean, moth is emotionally intense. What's it like physically? 
Well, yeah, the physicality definitely matches the emotional aspect of it. Um, Bryony's directing it in a way that, you know, my character Sebastian is obsessed with anime. You know, he's watching Neon Genesis and Trinity Blood and, you know, all these sort of iconic uh, anime uh, shows and things. So we're trying to incorporate a lot of that kind of heightened, uh, you know, um, uh, physical sort of movement and style. So there's lots of sort of, I'm doing these really great fight scenes where I'm kind of play reenacting scenes from uh, um, Neon Genesis. So it's it's very physically demanding too, but I love that. You know, my background was in musical theatre, so I, I enjoy the physical aspect of it and I love to jump around and roll on the floor and, yeah, get myself dirty. <laughs> so in that sense, your music career is kind of helping this role because your music videos are very physical, you know. They're not they're not passive at all. So I imagine <laughs> the, the physical prowess and training regime from music is is transposing well into this acting role absolutely i i my understanding is is that was one of the things that drew briny to me for this role i think she sort of saw that i don't mind putting my body on the line and in fact i love it i love using my entire body is but that's what i was taught when i was at drama school you know as an actor your entire your heart and your soul but also your physical body is your instrument so use whatever tools you have within that you know and so I'm very open to when we're on the floor rehearsing, you know, Brian's like, oh, how would you feel about sort of, you know, if we got onto that sort of block and then you kind of leapt off? I'm like, yeah, let's go. I'll give it a crack, you know. Um, I, so I think it was one of the things that got me this job, to be fair. But um, I don't know. I think it's just become part of um, my vernacular of the kind of creative I am and the kind of actor I am. My body is very much part of um, how I make work, yeah. Do you have any other scripts coming your way? Look, it's... As all things show, one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given is that showbiz is a roller coaster, not a ladder. So it ebbs and flows and it's up and down. One minute you'll be playing, you know, on the midsummer stage for thousands. The next thing you'll be doing a, a you know, a dense indie production like Moth, you know. So uh, there is there are things on the horizon, um, but nothing that I can firmly say this is happening. But look, I I always feel like I have irons in fires and I'm always trying to be creative in some sense. So. Stay tuned is the, is the best thing I could uh, answer the, to that question. <laughs> well, it sounds like when people see Moth, they're going to want to have you in their productions because, I mean, it sounds truly extraordinary. Well, I mean, that's, that, is, that is the dream. Um, but I just think people should see Moth purely on a human level. I think it's such a great, really great exploration of, you know, youth, mental health and, and exploring what it just means to help victims of bullying and, and the repercussions if we don't. So, yeah, come see it because Lucy Ansel, amazing. And, you know, I hope to also do an amazing performance. But as a piece of theatre, I just think it's very important for people to see. And it is playing at TheatreWorks May 17 to June 3rd. Adam Noviello, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about Moth at TheatreWorks. Such a pleasure chatting with you again. Chat soon. Come to the show. I'd love to. (laughs) Cheers. See ya. Adam Noviello there. You are on In Your Face on 3CR. And here's David Bowie. It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair But her mummy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a saddening bore For 
she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask her to focus on Sailors fighting in the dance hall Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. <laughs> 